0: People are not opening up any kind of opportunities. They just try, like, they reach out their hands to the immediate circle and say, like, oh yeah, I can't find any East Asians. And then that's it. There's no East Asian people in the industry,
1: which is bullshit. From Soho Media Club, this is Naked Stories. A series taking you into the inner world of the media industry where prejudice and glass ceilings are laid bare. Stories that are hard to tell out in the open, but have the power to change the future. Produced by PRL Studio, I'm Roses Okipo. Welcome to Episode 3, Invisible Man. Inclusion isn't bringing people into what already exists. It is making a new space, a better space for everyone. George Day 1980s Hong Kong, this bustling, booming decade represented the height of wealth creation and was a period which was culturally unique. Elements of traditional Chinese culture were combining Western culture influences which shaped Hong Kong in every facet of lifestyle, from music to TV dramas, film and books. Our guest Lyndon, again not his real name, was the youngest of three and was raised by his mum and dad in a typical working poor family amongst the busy streets of Hong Kong. From about
0: 60s up to late 80s, it's the years where it was really booming and people were really, really hardworking. So they just never stopped working. So my mum always tells me, like, she had two three jobs and she slept four or five hours a day. It's a constant thing. They didn't have any workers' rights, so they literally had no weekends. They were working seven days a week, at least 12 hours a day. And even when they were kids, they were just, you know, like back then, there's no child protection. So you just leave kids around. It's the same here as well. And so I basically was left on my own from really young age. As soon as, I think my mum tells me, like, as soon as I could walk. I think because of that, I've always been very independent growing up.
1: It was the norm for families to be packed into dense spaces. And Lyndon's family dynamics as a child was not the exception.
0: So my parents came, came from really, really poor background, Like literally like a family of nine kids living in
1: a what we consider a bedroom now that's how things used to be relentless hard work grew the business this allowed the family to move out of poverty and into public housing which typically in hong kong comprises high-rise blocks with flats of different sizes out of the fire and into the frying pan the squalid conditions only got marginally better and then we
0: slowly managed to go into, like, kind of council housing and then slowly get into, like, kind of affordable home, homes type stuff. So we are coming out of the poverty and becoming a little bit more comfortable, lower middle class kind of situation. I, I remember that. I, I, I always re- try to remind myself that's where I came from.
1: Lyndon's parents worked around the clock to survive and do the best for their family. His mum sacrificed time with her children to keep food on the table and a roof over their heads. His mum's absence created an independent child whose main source of companionship and entertainment was the box. Though he credits and emulates her work ethic as an adult, as a child, he had a warped view of the world and the people in it because of the influence of TV.
0: I've actually complained to my mum that she hasn't really taught me or my siblings much because they were always working. Uh, we've learned through practice in, in life And t- especially me, I learned a lot of stuff from TV Because I was just stuck at home watching TV all day So obviously I, I think like growing up I loved distorted view of people and the world From from all these TV shows uh, or films Things that I, I have to over like slowly kind of learn Like oh that's not how people behave That's not how, how the world runs
1: <laughs> Lyndon's mum had big plans for his future Through innovating hard work, she saved her earnings and prepared for him to leave familiar territory and take up the UK's offer of a path for a better future. This was a life-changing opportunity for Lyndon. When I was
0: 12, I was able to um, come to UK to go to a, uh, a private school, a boarding school. I find a lot of people relate to that when they're A lot of immigrants in this country, They, especially Chinese families, They they run takeaways and then their kids then go to universities and then hopefully they can become a doctor, lawyers and accountants like that. But my parents never pushed me to be anyone, do anything.
1: Embarking on a new adventure in a new country and being plunked into a culture so vastly different from East Asia is a daunting prospect. But for Lyndon, although it was emotional, this experience was a pleasant one.
0: So it was July that I flew from Hong Kong. It was a couple of days after my brother's wedding. And then when we were at the airport, it was very emotional. It was really hot. Uh and I was the first one to as a little kid to leave the family. No one's ever done that before. They were all crying. I didn't I was I don't think I really understood what that moment was like for them. I was just like, can't wait to get on the plane. I remember on the plane I was with another kid, uh we were both being chaperoned by the uh stewardesses. They were lovely, everything was new, like being on a plane, like the noise of the plane. And that experience of the lift-off was really weird. And then you you can see the clouds from up above. It was like everything I imagined. It was amazing, like literally like what you see in the movies. It was more exciting than scared coming here and arriving and instantly, this experience was very exciting for me because everything was new and kind of things that I've seen on TVs and films, and alien and at the same time familiar. People keep telling me that my mum's insane or or, or I was being insane, like, to do something like that.
1: But I don't think I would change. He was 12 years old and 6,000 miles away from home. Lyndon talked about his first impressions of London.
0: Coming off um, Heathrow, then I remember going probably through London train station to the countryside. And I was seeing all these fields uh, on the train and it felt like home straight away. Which is weird because growing up in Hong Kong, it's a concrete jungle. So coming here with so much open space, it felt really um, welcoming. And people were nice because I was this little Chinese kid who couldn't speak much English. People were really nice to us. It's like there's no concept of being different. People are nicer here, especially in the countryside. You get all these lovely uh, old white people in the countryside who, who who look after you as a little Chinese kid and it felt welcoming where in Hong Kong people are because it's, it's a city it's an overcrowded city so generally people are not that nice to strangers they wouldn't talk to you on the street uh, or you're always fighting to get to somewhere, always fighting to get the next thing that you want. But in here, people, it's slower pace. Like I said, people are more welcoming. That fitted my personality better. It never felt out of place.
1: Religion and tradition is one of the ways immigrants stay connected to their roots. But for Linden, his uprooting had sprouted seeds of questions about his native culture. There's
0: a lot of that in the Chinese culture, where they force you to do things for no reasons based purely because of traditions such as like you have to listen to your elders like i said i was being a very i was a little rebel uh, when i was young so always argued about everything anything that i didn't buy the logic i would just constantly argue about it from very very young age and people like adults of course they didn't like that because they don't even know why they were doing certain kind of tradition, traditional stuff. From superstitions, religions, to interpersonal habits. They can't explain it. And then they say, like, that's just how it is. And my mum, being not particularly educated, she could never answer me any of those stuff. She'll always just say, that's just how it is, which is unhelpful. I was always in, into, like, science. So understanding how things done, why things are the way they are, is important to me. And I'm always asking questions, asking why, why, why this, why that. And it just drove me nuts as a kid, not being able to
1: understand why things are done a certain way. Coming to the UK felt like a big, warm hug. A positive start, just like the movies. But like in the movies, there was a plot twist.
0: When I first went to school, it was an international school. So it was like people from all over the world. So it, didn't, it felt like everyone was just trying to get on. There was no racism or whatever you call them felt more like just kids bullying each other but then after the first two years then I went to a proper uh, English uh, boarding school and that instantly was different because there were majority uh, uh, rich white kids the way they treated me were different I didn't quite understand it Um it was like it's like battle royale they everybody were constantly out to get each other and trying to compete and be the popular kid and I definitely wasn't the popular kid and especially being a complete outsider.
1: Lyndon recalls how the boys tormented him.
0: There were some kids who were like kind of joking like doing the, the slant eye kind of things. I remember like I was like, what are you doing? What's this? As, as, as a little kid I didn't understand that was meant to be insulting. I was just completely confused about it. But then they were making the the noise, like doing like ching, chong, chong, like that. It was still a little bit confusing to me. I had to actually learn from them doing this stuff that
1: they were trying to insult me. The rose-tinted glasses of quaint Britain had been smacked off and his bubble burst. Anger built up and anxiety began to creep in. Lyndon knew he had to do something to end the misery. He had to stand up for himself. A lot of the time felt quite lonely.
0: The odd, more overt racism. Like I said growing up with watching TV, I thought that schools was like going to prison. So when people start kind of bullying you, you have to fight back. Otherwise you always become the lowest in the, the class to be constantly being bullied. So I fought back. It was uncomfortable, it
1: was awkward. Linden recalls with vivid memory one particular incident during a PE class. What is it about physical education that draws the bullies out of the woodwork? This was his rocky moment. He knew he had to fight, even if it meant losing. There were two kids who were really mean to me.
0: I think they've been they've been making fun of me for like a whole week or two, and I didn't know how to deal with it. But then I think that PE class, the, the teacher wasn't there, so I was able to like fuck it. I'm gonna fight back. It's like pushing him, and then he pushed back. He's a Big, slightly well, fatter kid. So it was beefier than me, and I was literally like stick thin. I thought like I'd rather being beaten up than appear uh, less and allowing them to continue. It. And then there were other kids like it was, they were, I think they were enjoying it. The other kids were watching, thinking that oh yeah, this is fun. Like 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 fight, fight, fight. But I did not think the fight really gone that far. It was just a couple of pushes. Thinking back, I think they were just also kids that. Probably have been bullied by others, and they think that that way that can make them feel more powerful. But in fact, they were they were actually pretty weak as well, physically and mentally. Especially that particular kid uh, as being a little bit fat. I think he was probably being picked on as well. And so he, in the, the hierarchy of of like a class bullies, being Chinese and skinny, I'm right probably right at the bottom. And then there's him, the fat white kid, and then there's other ones. And so I think that's just how it went. I hope like schools are better now at kind of educating the kids. Was fighting back worth it? They became a little bit less overtly racist, but there was still the the sense of not really belonging with these kids.
1: Attending boarding school is a unique and alternative upbringing, which impacts heavily on long-term development attitudes. Also. Dropping that on your CV brings about a next level of opportunities. The way, especially, also g- coming from a, a, a really
0: rich white boarding school, knowing those kids will probably be more successful than I am, even though we come from the same back, well, came from the same school but not the same background. Knowing that is a fact because uh, I'm still in contact with some of them. Also, they are enjoying their privilege without knowing it or making an effort to help others, I think that's unfair. You don't have to have a lot of privilege to help other people. You just need to reach out to even your nearest to extend a hand. I think the whole world will be better rather than only looking after your, your own interest. That's why I think it's so difficult in what we try to fight against. Because everyone's so tired and busy with their own life. In our industry, it's so clear that the system is rigged
1: against us. From an early age, Lyndon was an underdog with the attitude of a champion, glimmers of an inner activist, and his natural inquisitive nature to challenge traditional Chinese status quo. And his refusal to be a daily punching bag for the little twats at school. That is still in me
0: that I don't like when I see things as being unfair. So I think that translates into me growing up into my adulthood and seeing more kind of social unrest, social injustice. And that resonates with me. I feel empathetic to other people who are also fighting against the system. That I feel like I grew up thinking that there's something not quite right with people, with the system
1: the days of boarding were over. Freedom, followed by a successfully completed university degree in psychology. However, it was Lyndon's love of movies which led him to consequently study film. Fast forward to Lyndon as a young adult that unaccounted for bravado, awkward facial hair stage. He made it. He'd accomplished film school. A friend of
0: mine from film school got me on board on a feature film. I was still shooting on 35mm back then. And they, I think they actually specifically hired a camera from India because it's cheaper from there. Already, like, I, I've heard a lot of dodgy stuff going on with the whole production, how they got their finance and how they were cheating people's money. Uh, but it was for me, it was, like, feature film, so that was a big deal. Genuinely, people were nice. Even the director seemed nice to me. I was hired on board to help assemble the film as they shoot, I was thinking that, oh, if I do well, maybe I can continue to finish the film or help keep working in somehow, because it's literally the first big job that I got.
1: As a graduate who was genuinely passionate about the projects he was working on, Lyndon thought his opinion would matter.
0: We were all passionate and it felt like, yes, this is the kind of industry I want to work with. These are the people that I want to work with. I thought it was, the script was decent the actors were good and I wanted it to be good so I was seeing the, some of the footage I thought, like oh, the way that the film wasn't very good and it could be better and so I was telling the, the director telling the, the DP that oh maybe you should do this should do that clearly they were, they were like a lot more experience than me but they didn't like my comments and so they didn't hire me back and they tried to finish the film with my assistant at the time Then once the shoot was over, they didn't call me back. Instead, only later I found out that my assistant from the uni had got an editor credit to work on the film. That really, really pissed me off. I knew more than that guy, even though I was was a film school graduate, but I still knew a lot more than that guy. Lovely kid. But it was just frustrating that because I spoke up, they didn't like my comments, they didn't like my voice, and so they didn't hire me back to finish the film. They weren't even out telling me off. They weren't just outright telling me that, hey, you don't know anything. We're giving you this opportunity. Shut up. They didn't even do that. So that's why it was a shock when they didn't hire me back to continue. And even more shock when they hired my assistant to finish it. I can't exactly say, oh, yeah, okay, if it was because of racism, probably wasn't. I don't know. Because these kind of things, that's difficulty with being an ethnic person. You lose a job, you never know is it because of your ethnicity or because of yourself. You never know. As a white person, you never have to think about that. You never have to worry about because of your ethnicity. It's, if you have anything that happens to you, it's always because of you as an individual person.
1: Did he regret speaking his mind?
0: <sighs> it's complex. Because in a way, I do regret I spoke up so that I lost the job. But it's them... So they were not willing to listen. But then that, I think that was a lesson in how the industry works to me. Sometimes if you just become complacent, you might be able to get away with things and move up. But that's
1: not my personality. Undeterred and comfortable in his own skin, Lyndon pursued his career as an editor. It wasn't long before he bore witness to some more BS whilst working on another production. A couple of years ago, I worked in a production
0: we were young uh, as a young team but we had one older director he was kind of he brought in as, as I think it was his experience and the line producer was a young uh, white woman and she has been fighting for more gender equality and in this particular production she was fighting for more to hire more female crews and even though in the production there were a couple of us other than me, they're all, all, all white people. More women than men, but that's quite common in production office. And so, a, a line producer was fighting to get more female crew. Uh, when they start shooting and they were so difficult so challenging so even including the the producers the directors they were constantly saying that we don't care whether they're men or women we just want to hire the best they don't understand the system of m- how meritocracy can only maintain the status quo of predominantly white men running the business when you have an opportunity to hire more diverse crew they don't do anything about it and it was very very difficult fight. I, I know they were, They had a couple of meetings and they only eventually managed to hire uh, one young female spark and they ended up going back to all their friends, getting different people coming in to do the, 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 the shoot, to record the sound. It's all the same people that they worked with who happen to be all white men, old white men. There is a clear preference in the older white men dominating the industry.
1: Once bitten, twice shy, this time, Lyndon kept quiet. Perhaps his previous experience had left him feeling that he was not in the position to say anything this time. Or maybe he figured keeping quiet was safe. I
0: didn't say anything. Because at the time, I don't think I was in the place where I was feeling I had a voice to say anything. I think that's one of the catalysts that slowly set me off on what I'm, the path that I'm on now. Speaking up more for underrepresented people in our industry because so many people did feel, probably do feel, that they don't have the power to say anything. And if they do, they, their career will be jeopardised. I've kind of given up on that now, like feeling if people become prejudiced against me because of my activism, my advocacy, then fuck them. There are more and more allies in the industry now. And so maybe I can still have progression in my career with some of these people. And hopefully it's only gonna grow, especially more young people who are coming into industry and more kind of mid-range,
1: mid-level people who are waking, waking up. After a couple of bumpy experiences in production, I asked Lyndon how he navigated through the uncomfortable inequality and carved a career for himself in those early days
0: people say what you get out of film school is the network that you get helps your career it kind of did and not at the same time because I got a couple of jobs at the beginning from people I knew from film schools there were small things that helped cement that I wanted to stay and work in this industry but they were not particularly good jobs so I think more proper first jobs were more towards editing like little short promo stuff about Chinese people Pretty much that's the only kind of work I could get at the beginning. I've tried to apply for jobs everywhere, like post-production houses as runners, runners like in various productions, never heard back anything. I've applied for lots of different all kinds of jobs. I've got I've got I've worked on various stuff on very low budget for free, but proper work only came when I started using my speciality as a Chinese person who can speak and understand some Mandarin. Because that was the time when kind of early, like mid-2000s, mid when we were getting a lot more people from China and there's a lot more connections with China, a lot more businesses with China. And so there were more media jobs orientated towards the, either the Chinese market or the Chinese market coming to here. So that's when I started getting proper work and editing some videos different like uh, corporate videos
1: or entertainment videos aiming for the chinese market linden was now in a quandary pursuing the struggles of getting a non chinese related job versus using his ethnicity as a superpower
0: i was really really frustrated that i wasn't getting other work and that's the general kind of sense that i think a lot of people like me have felt early on in the career or even even later on in the career within this industry you don't want to portray yourself as an ethnic person because you just want to integrate you just want to be seen as like everyone else so you want to buddy up with your white friends and be making the same content as everyone else you just want to be seen as everybody else I didn't quite understand that then. I just understood that people were pigeonholing me, putting me into a place where I couldn't get out. But at the same time, I needed work. I needed to pay the bills. So whatever work I could get. That's why it's it's so annoying that when I see there are jobs for East Asians, there are productions about East Asian culture uh, uh, with East Asian language, and they don't hire East Asians. Because one, I wasn't getting any work other than East Asians related work. And then sometimes even these jobs are not going to me, they're going to white people. So
1: how can I catch a break? I can feel Lyndon's frustration and his sense of spirit being crushed by the constant battle to just get his foot in the door. It sounds like he's been close to throwing in the towel and switching careers. I'm surprised like, I haven't quit yet, <laughs> to be honest. Because <laughs> it, it
0: often it, it's so it's so demeaning even though you might not have direct contact to the potential racists like because it's literally you sending a CV out and then not hearing back and then you only hear back from people who clearly picking you out of your ethnicity again it's still early on in my journey and in the conversation that we have now about diversity but there were plenty of productions who would be very happy with my work when those were specifically Chinese content and then they would not hire me back I think that's clear racism in a not overt way, but the way how they put me into this category that they would only hire me for the specific because of my ethnicity.
1: The low points in Lyndon's career were pretty shit and he had soul tearing experiences of being on the breadline. But survival mode kicked in and he dug himself out of this dark hole.
0: I was literally eating bread for like a week because I wasn't getting any work and then I was meeting somebody that I thought maybe potentially could give me a job and I was literally going into overdraft to buy buy them a coffee and then they asked me like oh do you want oh do you want something I said like no 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 I'm okay I don't want a coffee because I'm thinking that I literally had no money in my bank account Managed to get through it, uh, those were the worst times. And uh, my, my, actually, my parents were telling me like, oh, uh, my mum uh, asked me, like, do you need any money? Like, uh, I can help. And I said, no, 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 I need to get through this. I need to learn through diff- the most difficult times to appreciate, to understand, so that it becomes part of me. Because like, I, I think maybe because I, I know that's where my parents came from. I feel like my privilege of growing up, having their support, coming to this country, going to a uh, really good school, that's privilege.
1: Today, the challenge of getting decent work has gone beyond pigeonholing. According to Linden, East Asians are now being sidelined. And the excuse on the film and TV grapevine is that there aren't enough East Asians in the industry. Seriously? Recently,
0: I've heard from an editor uh, who said that they were working, cutting a show with East Asian content. And they tried to look for an East Asian person and then they failed. Listening to that makes me feel like, like invisible. Again, like when there is work that specifically requires that knowledge and that uh, background, even we are not getting that kind of work. So it's not about want to create a industry where if you make East Asian content, you only hire East Asians. But it should be that we, if we can't even get that kind of work, how can we then go into mainstream and get other work? People are not opening up any kind of opportunities. They just try, like they reach out their hands to the immediate circle and say like, oh yeah, I can't find any East Asians. And then that's it. There's no East Asian people in the industry, which is bullshit. Feeling invisible and appalled, Lyndon confided in a friend. So I told my friend about that. And she said like, why didn't you say something? Why don't you just tell them that you, you run a group, uh, you know so many other people. And if they're not experienced enough, but they could at least be involved, trained, and being able to gain some experience from it. I should have spoken up. I think I should. Again, it was a situation that was quite new to me. I didn't know how to react. I was just angry. Yeah, but next time if it happens, I think I will will speak up.
1: However, speaking up is not only about knowing you have the right to use your voice. It's also about confidence. I think...
0: I'm confident in my skills, so that often might portray me as a confident person. But my insecurities of knowing there's so many things that I don't know about brings me back down. And also in uncomfortable situations as well, like that kind of talk I mentioned, where it was a specific scenario which I wasn't familiar with, that I didn't know the protocols, I didn't know what to do. That's like that experience I think was important so that in the future
1: I know what I can do. As far as Lyndon is concerned, he is completely British, with the same skills as a white British editor. So why is it that so often he feels judged by what's on the outside?
0: I think a lot of productions, uh, uh, networks, uh, uh, they like to portray themselves as risk takers. So they will hire a young white man to do this and that, this big budget stuff. And then they praise themselves for it, for taking the risk. How's that different, taking that risk, compared to taking a risk on a a person of colour, or a a woman? I don't feel that people have taken risk on me. I feel that my career progression has been quite steady. I hear all the time about white men who people have taken risk on them. It's always these stories, especially now, all these panels and talks, you keep hearing about these experiences of white people. Some, some producer took a chance on them. They had to convince them and then they took the chance on them. And then now they are Oscar, uh, uh BAFTA nominated or, or winners. Why don't they take that kind of risk on us? Well, why is every job that I apply for feels like they are taking a risk? I think it's a, it's a dangerous misconception that we keep listening to successful white people who talk about the, the chance that they got and then us being underrepresented and feel that i'm just waiting for that chance it's a false narrative for us that really 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 applies to us despite however aspirational they might sound it's dangerous and it only also helps to help their narrative thinking that we as underrepresented are also just waiting for that chance which is not true we're not looking for that one chance we're just looking for a job we're just looking for more work it's that unconscious bias that they have that they don't realise. What we're doing now, talking a lot more about unconscious bias and the pushing for diversity, I think, well, I hope, it's doing something. It's putting that into people's minds that they need to think about it when they hire somebody rather than just say they can't find someone. I think we'd be lying to ourselves if we say, like, yet yeah, tomorrow the industry will be completely different because people have been fighting for this for so long.
1: Did you catch that? I can't help but agree. If we are to become a more inclusive industry, it's time for white people to step up and take a risk on minorities. Microaggressions are more than just insensitive comments, insults, or generalized twatish behavior. It can be harder for non-minorities to spot, but the effect it has on the person experiencing it is just as damaging. Handling microaggressions in the workplace put Lyndon in a tricky spot, especially when the person handing it out is also the person holding all the power. Racism, it's generally much more subtle.
0: Only, only on occasions where, so for example, like one, one job that I did working NA at an agency, the boss of the agency, for some reason, really liked me. He liked coming over to my edit suite, talk to me, he might, he might talk to everybody. I don't know. I haven't noticed it. But he just comes over to talk to me, and which is quite rare. He's Because he's not the producer, he's not the director, he's the boss of the company. He randomly comes up to talk to me. 95% or 99% of conversations revolves about me being a Chinese person. So it's about him having a Chinese friend who runs a Chinese takeaway, Chinese restaurant, and he asks me how to say hello in, in Chinese. And it always just revolves around that. And then I try to, like one day I try to ask him about something else. He just wasn't interested. I didn't want to obviously point out that I'm a human being. I don't run a Chinese restaurant or takeaway, so I don't actually know much about that. There's other things that I can talk about, like anything. He actually hardly even talked about the project that I was working on. He was just focused on the fact that I was a Chinese person. I don't know if he was trying to be not racist so that he would be friendly to me, I don't know. It was a predominantly white office. There were not a lot of ethnic people there. Maybe he was trying to be friendly, but completely failing it. As soon as someone asks me about like where I'm from, like instantly I get tensed up. Instantly. Because I feel like, okay, here we go. Do I tell them the straight answer? Or do I be clever about it? Or am I going to be outright rude? There's three options. I usually would be try to be clever and say that oh I'm from, from here and then sometimes they would just go move on. Sometimes they would then go on and ask like no 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 where are you from? Like where are your your is from? Especially if it was like a job interview that would be quite uncomfortable but then because I want to appear to be a friendly person uh, then then I'll ha- i have to give up because otherwise if I'm too confrontational, they're going to feel like, oh, uh, this person is... As if, as if being a, a, an ethnic person wasn't a barrier enough. You just have to allow them to be a little bit racist, unfortunately, because they, they hold the power, they hold the jobs. It really sucks. That's what I mean, like now maybe I mean, I'm in a different place now. Maybe I would speak up more now, even if it means I'm going to lose my job, because I feel like... I'm speaking for a lot of people. It's different to when I was speaking for myself, just looking for a job.
1: The media's portrayal of East Asians may not consciously be malicious, but communities are relentlessly being ignored and the misrepresentation of East Asians on and off camera is significant. In generally, in the UK media, we don't really
0: exist very much. And if we exist, there's only a few token successes, success stories that makes them feel like there is representation, but there's, it's always the same people. So, for example, you always hear Gemma Chang, Benedict Wong, and maybe Katie Leung, who was in the Harry Potter film. Just like with all the things going on now with J.K. Rowling. Uh, she wrote this character called Cho Chang, which is clearly written as an exotic kind of character to tempt Harry Potter so that he can fi- really find himself and find the true love of his life. Again, like we are constantly used... Like not only is the name wrong because it's not an actual name ever being used. It's just a made up thing that she came up with randomly. She didn't do any research into what Chinese names sound like. It's not difficult. Just find a Chinese person and make up a name. Jesus Christ, don't make it up. Don't just don't just make up some sound and then say, OK, that's it. Nobody's going to notice it. We are constantly used as like backdrops and props for white characters. Not only are we invisible, but we are constantly
1: doing that. In 2019, the CBBC series Living with the Lambs, which centred around a Chinese family running a restaurant in Manchester, caused uproar amongst the East Asian community. A white commissioner commissioned a
0: white writer to write about a Chinese takeaway family whom they know little about. But they think that all they needed to do is to hire a Chinese writer
1: to be a cultural consultant, then they can get away with it. Representation of the basics of Chinese culture was being interpreted through a white writer's eyes. Please believe that East Asians and their allies sat in front of the TV in disbelief, shouting, you don't put dumplings in the oven. Lyndon couldn't believe he was watching a kid's TV show riddled with racist cliches.
0: And in it, they are, the story has a old granny eating fortune cookies, which is unreal. Fortune cookies is not a Chinese thing. It's a made-up Western thing. And then she puts a dumpling into the oven, which is disastrous. You always steam them. Fry them, steam them, but never in the oven. If these things get made, then people, the general public will watch it and think that, oh, that's how Chinese people behave. The actors, there will always be actors who do them, who do these roles because they need the job. They don't have a choice. But the commissioners have a choice in what they pick, what they commission. And if you continue to make things that show us as foreigners with accents and also not give any authenticity to them, then we're always going to be seen as invisible, seen as foreign and seen as inferior. There's no respect to us as a community at all from these people. They don't think that, okay, now because we have this opportunity, the audience is clearly there. So let's give this opportunity to some young uh, or even experienced uh, East Asian writers to write
1: something new, something interesting. Television can be a wonderful source of information for children, but it can also feed their hungry minds in a damaging way. How will we beat the stereotypes if content is being incorrectly created for our kids? In genres outside of children's TV, Chinese stories seem to be plentiful, but the narratives are always familiar. And the characters are often confined to oriental settings.
0: There are so many productions in the last couple of years and also currently are trying to cash in on the kind of Chinese-centric uh, narratives because China is vague now. So they feel like that's something that they want to talk about. But we are rarely the subject of the, the narratives. It's always set with a white protagonist who are going on a journey of discovery within this foreign land. They're portraying us as foreigners, despite how many people have born and grew up here. Then it only reinforces that we are not important enough to be the narratives, to the main narratives that people will want to watch. And so we've been banging on the doors for so many years, saying that we've got all these narratives that we want to tell them but they're not commissioning, they're not buying them. And then when white people write stories about East Asia, they just kind of lapping them up. Especially after Crazy Rich Asian, they think that, oh my God, there's a market for it now. So now all these white people can can cash in by hiring their white writers and then telling about East Asian stories. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really frustrating because it's like, again, it's us invisible. It's making us invisible, making us feel worthless, making us feel that We're not good enough.
1: Like a bullet train, the coronavirus pandemic hit us early in 2020. This unstoppable virus also unleashed a new wave of xenophobia.
0: Uh, So many Chinese people right now, East Asian people, this don't have to be Chinese. Any East Asian-looking person are going through the increased racial abuse because of COVID-19 during this period and it's, it's so many people are just suffering from it and, and, and not saying anything because they feel like it's just another case. Like, it's so used to it. Why say anything? I know people who are now thinking of leaving. They feel like they may have to move to Asia, to East Asia, to feel less threatened, to feel more home, to feel more welcomed, which is so ironic because we've been talking about, like, me feeling home coming here and then these people these friends who were born here and don't feel home I do have a. I, I know at least one, per, one friend who have moved back to moved to Malaysia his parents from
1: Malaysia but he was born here and he's happy now being in Malaysia Stepping off the plane and into the beautiful countryside with welcoming locals all those years ago has now become a cold grey and hostile environment which has forced Lyndon to ask himself should I stay or should I leave?
0: Then I'm thinking, if we move, then what about the people who are left behind? They're only gonna, it's only gonna get worse for them. And also now I'm trying to voice out and fight for ourselves. Then if I'm moving back there, then does that mean I don't need to fight for anybody? Or should I still fight against social injustice? Because if that's the case, then what's the difference? I'm either fighting over there or fighting over here, maybe for, for different causes. So there's no difference. If that's who I am, if, this is the kind of person who I am. Who I am against unfair situations, whether it's for for me or for other people. Then there's no difference. So, but it has definitely become very toxic that a lot of East Asians are worried about their future. And I, I, I for me, I just I feel so sad because this is home is where you feel is home. It doesn't matter where you, your parents came from, where you're born, uh, or where your stuff is. If this is where you feel home, then you should defend it and you should fight for everybody. Fight for yourself, fight for everybody.
1: Misrepresentation, stereotyping, pigeonholing, xenophobia these are just some of the tough and complex challenges which East Asians in film and TV have to deal with on a daily basis. Lyndon is committed to pushing the boundaries so that he can change the narrative for himself and his community. I feel like because there's no one, not many people like me speaking up, so I feel that I have
0: to do it, and I'm kind of putting myself into a lot of trouble at the same time because I'm doing a lot of advocacy work, and so I'm not leaving enough time for my own career development. So I'm definitely, I think I'm definitely suffering from it because I'm, I'm doing all these stuff there. So I'm not working on my showreel. reel, I'm not going out networking with other people, uh, even when we're locked down. Because norm- before all these advocacy work, I was out all the time networking, meeting people. That takes, takes up a lot of time. It's a full-time job networking and, and catching up with your, your, your old colleagues. And that's part of how the industry works. But I'm using a lot of that time now to run various organizations to help push for diversity. Hopefully, all, all these hard work will help everyone, and including myself, rather than only pushing for myself, and then I will only become the, the token East Asian person. What has driven him to become an advocate for diversity? I think that initially it was definitely selfish reason. I won't lie about that. Because I saw a lot of friends who've done more various advocacy work and I've seen their career getting better, progressing. And I feel like, hmm, maybe that's what I need to do. So, because it's like school when you just doing well in your standard kind of subjects, it's not good enough. You have to run some kind of society type thing. That's kind of how I started. I think it didn't take long for that kind of mindset to fade and then realise helping people actually drives me. And that only, I feel good when I think I'm helping people. And I keep
1: so I just keep doing more and more and more. Lyndon confidently states that better diversity input is better content output. Facts. There is statistics
0: that shows that diversity helps uh, make better products, make better films, better shows, better content. So the argument, actually there's no argument There's statistics that show it These people, they don't understand it Either they haven't heard it Or they're still holding on to their biases Conscious or unconscious biases So therefore, things haven't changed They just have this perception that the team that they need looks like that particular thing in the head, which is mostly white men. And because they haven't worked with more diverse people, they don't have the knowledge of how well it works. I know as a fact, like if the top people, execs, producers, directors, if they are from ethnic background, they're more likely to hire more ethnic people because to them... Well, they're obviously less biased. In some ways, sometimes the answer, the solution is quite simple. But it's just about a lot of white people, their defensiveness
1: in not wanting to lose their jobs, which I understand. He firmly believes that things can only positively move on if change comes from the gatekeepers, who have their fists clenched onto the big iron gates of the industry. The
0: whole industry needs to change the people in the top needs to change. So for example, like recently, there was a, the BAME TV task force who wrote a letter uh, thousands of people have signed asking for a change in the commissioning uh, level and gender across the board. It's simple as if there are more ethnic people at the top, they will understand better at not commissioning white people to keep writing these terrible stories. From Lyndon's perspective, what is it that minorities really want? I have a friend recently told me that it's that simple like we just want to be seen as like everybody else who can get hired so we don't want to be seen every time like as schemes like the industry is coming up with all these schemes to give people opportunities all these mentoring stuff I think it's great we need them but at the same time there's so many of us who are in the industry already been working for ages we just need to be seen and given
1: jobs My final question to Lyndon was, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? I think work, it's my legacy. That's why I feel like if I can edit a
0: film and it can be viewed by people in the future, I think that's a legacy. And also if I can put a dent in the industry and make it more diverse and more people can benefit from it, that's a legacy. I used to think more like, oh yeah, I need to have a name. People need to know me, recognize me. But I don't think it matters so much. It feels like if I know people have benefited from my effort and I know it because I know these friends, I know these people and then how that help them, Mm. that makes me feel good.
1: Lyndon mentioned earlier in our conversation that at times he feels invisible, but I would ferociously contend that. Lyndon's a compassionate, thoughtful, and driven individual who is using his voice to pay it forward for other East Asians. This is a man who is far from invisible. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Naked Stories. This show was edited by Michael Kalizinski. Sound designed by Anton Borove. Produced by Anna Zergic, Jessica Lapsiwala and Tom Biskowski. Narratives written by Jessica Lapsiwala and myself, Rose Okipo. See you in the next episode for more non-filtered stories. For now, ciao bella.